0: This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you can find us directly on our social media pages, Healing Pass Recovery, or directly on our website, www.healingpassrecovery.com. And while you're there, I would love a review. Hey everyone, welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm your host, Jackie Pack, and I have with me today, Rachel Allen. Hi, guys. And we are excited about this topic that we're going to be talking about today and recording this podcast episode on, maybe minus the last one we did, which was on like how to stop watching porn and treatment of porn and stuff like that, which is really at the heart of kind of what we market and what we do and all of that type of stuff. But a lot of our podcast episodes this year, I would say, have been around deconstruction, spiritual deconstruction. Understanding abuse in those structures. Yes, And the family systems, within religious structures, all of which I think we love to talk about, as you can tell. <laughs> um, but today, we wanted to talk about reconstruction. I think sometimes, you know, if you're part of the deconstruction conversations that happen, and I think more and more of those are happening, Sometimes the conversations that are missing are reconstruction. Yes. And reconstruction is, I mean, that's really the exciting part of the deconstruction. It's the rebuilding. It's where hope is found. It's intentional. It's creative. It's, there's a lot of options. Yeah. So we're going to talk about reconstruction today. Yay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited on this topic because I do think, and we started this podcast really talking about like the buzzwords and deconstruction and like where it was coming from and what that looks like. And I think it's really important. I think that that is a really important part of this process. But the deciding what we're keeping or the deciding how we're going to build something new or the deciding, like making a conscious decision to choose something that works for us is the cool part of therapy, Mm -hmm. is the cool part of this process, right? And there's a lot of grief that comes with the deconstruction process. And though these things often overlay, like deconstruction and reconstruction can be happening kind of at the same time in different spaces or whatever, reconstruction is less about the grief process and more about moving forward and growing and changing Mm -hmm. and shifting. It's a lot more dynamic in that way and yeah i always think about if you go to europe all the like roads are super tiny in big cities because all of the buildings the current buildings have been built over old building sites right and so like they never really widen the roads or things like that so like you get these really really tiny lanes and what i think is fascinating about that is like most of those cities had points where they could have paused to say what do we want to do here? Right. Like Paris is one that I always think about. Paris is burned like five times. Right. And in every one of those burnings, there was a point in which Paris could have decided, you know, we're gonna like spread out, make some new roads, do that. But they kept reconstructing over the deconstructed parts without really thinking about does this actually work now? Mm-hmm. And I think that the fun part of reconstruction is that, like, does this work now or do we want to build something different? Uh Well, and I think there's a, you know, I've been having conversations with several different clients. This is just where they are at who have been in a deconstruction. And I want to say, like, I do think therapy itself, I think we have said this, therapy itself is a deconstruction process. Yes. We're deconstructing. Beliefs that needed to be in place for us as children to get to adulthood the best that we could, right? Mm -hmm. And then at some point, deconstruction happens. And I I have different, like, I've had some clients where their deconstruction started politically. Mm -hmm. And then led to family of origin. And maybe that's when they entered therapy. And then it led to, you know, uh, their spiritual deconstruction or religious deconstruction. Like, it just tends to, like you were saying, if we are doing deconstruction, right, it starts to broaden before it starts to focus in this reconstruction way, right? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I say to clients, like, I don't, I don't know that once we've started a deconstruction process, maybe we're never fully done. I think we can do it quicker. I don't think there has to be the same level of anger or grief that, there was originally yeah and maybe we're reconstructing much sooner right we're deconstructing one day reconstructing the next day or even for two hours and then we're having a conversation and we're reconstructing some things right i think it can shorten but i just think there's a lot to deconstruct and reconstruct we're dependent and vulnerable for a really long time as human beings right And I just think that means there's a lot of things to deconstruct and reconstruct in our adult years. And I think that's beautiful. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Right. But the reconstruction would be where we're making meaning, Mm -hmm. where we're redefining things and growing and asking ourselves, okay, well, so what's required of me now and who do I want to be now? And You know, that's a a beautiful, I think those are beautiful spaces to live in and to allow others to live in. I was talking with a friend the other day who was saying I felt like before my deconstruction, my community was wide, but the depth of my community was pretty shallow. Mm -hmm. And I feel like one of the hard things, you know, in reconstruction is I mean, maybe it wasn't hard, but the numbers in my community have shrank, but the depth has gone so much deeper than I ever realized, right? And again, that's to me, I'm just like, yeah, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? And isn't it beautiful to reflect on and be like, wait, what are my community needs, right? And how do I want to show up communally with other people? And so, what does that require from me? And what is that? Who do I invite into that space with me, right? And all of a sudden, we're we're developing and we're building something, and and probably better than what was ever just handed to us, mm-hmm. you know, because we can personalize it, we can make it much more intentional than this thing that's handed to a lot of different people, and we're told like, here it is, make it work. So again, I just think that reconstruction process is. Where we need to get to, and I don't know that we ever finish fully deconstructing, but knowing that we can hold deconstruction with reconstruction starts to give us some hope because I think you can only spend so much time deconstructing and pulling down or defining yourself by who you are not or what you do not believe, right? Before we have to get to this place of like, okay, so who are you? Right, and what do you believe? Right, and what does that require of you? And how do you need to show up now? Yeah, I mean, you know, you and I talked about this in one of the episodes where I said, like, if you stop at the label of X, you haven't finished, right? Because if you're X, you know, evangelical or XLES or X, you know, Republican or X Democrat or whatever it is, right? Like, you're no longer part of that group, and that's where you stop. Then you haven't really become where you're where you're going right and i do think that there's this level of reconstruction that is just like when you were talking i was thinking about i have right like my my kid just turned six and so we're in that like lego and play-doh and you know phase of life and for her birthday she got a lego set that Is created to make like three different things and so you tear it apart and you like you use the different parts to make Mm. other things and it's like a dragon and a fish i can't remember what the other one is but as you were talking i was thinking about that like as we are deconstructing right like we're also looking at what we want to keep and what we want to get rid of and like what can be useful in the next thing and it is kind of a daily thing right it is there is a lot of growing that happens In reconstruction that I think that we just have to lean into as humans. We spend a lot of time as human beings trying to not be organic, right? Like we're very, especially in our culture, it's very sterile, right? Like we, everything comes in plastic. We don't really know where our food comes from. Most of us don't get our hands dirty. We're very like, you know, careful in that way. And but we are a part of this world that is very organic and it grows and it adapts and it changes. And I think that mentally and spiritually we are that way too, right? Like when we experience stuff, we grow and adapt to that and we can shift into something that's really cool and really has a lot of meaning and has a lot of like, this is intentional. Like I'm intentionally moving into this space. I'm intentionally doing this thing in my life that I would have never done with. And, I was thinking about when you were saying, you know, my previous community was very wide and very shallow. I was given a precept of what community was supposed to be, right? Like, that was, like, this is what community does for you. And honestly, like, that didn't work for me. It just didn't. And being able to reconstruct into having, like, meaningful, purposeful relationships, I'm a better person. Right. Like I show up intentionally for relationships that I probably wouldn't have before. Mm -hmm. And I have a deeper will to give from than I did before because I just didn't know that that was there. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a cool part of this process. Yeah. come across this in my reading that people will say when it comes to like religious deconstruction that like for every decade you spent in the religion, you'll need a year of deconstruction. And yeah, I could see that. Right. Yeah. That, um. That just about right. <laughs> and and maybe just in deconstruction before you're able to start really, I, I would say maybe like appreciating reconstruction. Because mm-hmm. I I just think there's a part of deconstruction that is painful and hard, and there's a lot of loss associated yeah. with it. And that just takes some time and space in your life before you're even ready to start reconstructing. Right. right? Like I was talking with my husband this past weekend, and I think I've mentioned this before that like, I feel like, I mean, my kids have said to me before, like, mom, if this event hadn't happened and you weren't told that you couldn't be trusted and they they saw you as a threat or they saw you as harmful, would you still be trying to make it work? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I mean, I do have a tendency to overstay. I would like to think that at some point I could have walked away, right? But it was an abrupt like, hey, by the way, we see you as harmful, you're not part of this community, or we don't trust you in our community. And that was that was traumatizing to me, right? Mm-hmm. But I was talking with my husband just last this past weekend and I was saying like I'm actually in a place where I can look back and while that was not that was not my intention, I honestly thought I knew where this line was of being in and being out. And I always thought I was clearly on the right side of that or the side that would make people comfortable right I honestly believe that and I was trying to be intentional about it like there were maybe a few times I got close to that line but in my mind when I would articulate or verbalize things I was always clearly on the right side of things now what I realized is I alone didn't get to define where that line was Mm -hmm. and where I put that line was not where they were putting that line. And so I'm like, I can actually look back and be like, I I can see it. I can see that I was a threat. I can see that I was harmful. It was nowhere near what I intended or mm-hmm. what I was trying to do. But I'm like, it's less painful for me now. So there's some space there where I can be like, I see it. Yeah. I get it. I'll I'll even accept part of that, right? Yeah. That like I honestly thought that where I defined that line was where everybody would define that line. And I can see I was wrong. Right. I can own that I was wrong. And so if I'm clearly on the other side, okay. Okay. Right. And not have that angst and pain associated with that. And and still be like, yeah, that wasn't who I thought I was shot. Like it was never my intent to be threatening and harmful. Right. Yeah, I can see if this is, if their line was 30 feet back. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yes. And they got to define that their line was, even as a community, that their line was 30 feet back. Right. And okay. I can, I can accept it. Right. Which I feel like has gotten me, I mean, I'm almost 10 years out. And so I'm like, I mean, a little more than a decade or a year for every decade, but I've also, I feel like I reconstructed a lot of different things to then just have that occur to me and be like, oh yeah, I can see that. I can, and not take it so personal and just be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. It always makes me think of The Village, the movie by my channel And you know, um, if you haven't watched it, spoilers uh, <laughs> although it has been what 20 years uh, yes been, even though it's been a long time i think it came out when i was in high school so like if you haven't watched it you're probably not going to yet so right but this community is built to be very like a lot like the amish or i think it's more puritan and nature um but the, you go through the whole movie really believing that it's like in probably like the 1500s 1600s and it's not but The community itself was so, like, the community value was to keep the kids safe, right? And... Which is a good value. Which is a good value. value. It's a value. But it didn't allow for exploration or creativity or nuance, right? Because to keep things safe, we have to keep it organized and the same. And we have to, like, be able to make contingency plans on contingency plans. I mean, we're also operating from a threat. Yes. Perspective. Right. Right. And, and I think, right. Like some of that reconstruction process is just saying like, yeah, it's going to be scary and dangerous. Right. Like, and as humans, we kind of lean into that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we have a part of us that very much pulls into this fear-based space of like, we can't go, we can't, like, we get really comfortable in our habits and our routines and, To stay safe. But we also have this other part of us, and it's a big part of humanity, that is about innovation and creativity and frontiers and pushing ourselves past our limits and finding space and finding the line between, you know, comfortable pain and too much pain. Like, we really like that space as humans. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, that's how we've discovered most things in this world, right? We've pushed ourselves past our limits of safety mm-hmm. which but those are different questions than like, I, I mean, maybe it's a different operating space. I'm operating from safety, right, which then allows me to ask different questions, right. You know, sometimes I'll talk with clients and I'm like, okay, so if if everything's safe and it's safe to be you is authenticity, right? Now we have questions of like, Well, what does that look like? And how big am I actually as a person? And what does that look like? And how do I stretch my, like very different questions than like, I need to stay safe. Right. Right. And so like, I have some clients that, you know, we're, we've been working together for years and they've done deconstruction in a lot of ways, but now all of a sudden they're like wrestling with, you know, I have one who would say like my family I grew up with surrounded by conspiracy theories Mm -hmm. and I'm now a parent. I mean, not just now a parent, but like I'm having to confront things that my family just acted as though they were a given. And he's like, I mean, I at least am further enough down that line that I know those aren't my beliefs. Mm -hmm. But I just know those aren't my beliefs. Right. I haven't really reconstructed what my beliefs are right? And so we're having to reconstruct beliefs around SSRIs Mm -hmm. and medication to help our mental health. Like we're having to, I mean, you know, he's like, I mean, I just, I guess I didn't realize I would need to reconstruct these ideas or these beliefs. Which again is fascinating, right? Like I, there's a, there's a book that where the long story short there's a doctor and he's in a village in which like people believe in like the spirits do things or like is this fiction or it's fiction okay yeah it's fiction you know because that's where rachel's world is but one of the things that i think is really really interesting is he says something about like it is easier for people to fear the things that they don't know and don't understand versus the things that are right in front of them And so it's easier to make up a story about monsters than it is to recognize, like, I don't know my shadow self. Mm -hmm. And that shadow self can be damaging to other people. And I think that that work is part of the reconstruction process, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I I know the dragon that lives inside of me, and I know how to tame it. And I know what works and what doesn't and how to shift that in a way that is constructive and is you know community driven and is life-giving or creates meaning or whatever that is versus like this raging dragon that's just destroying things Mm -hmm. which i think is some of deconstruction right like we need that to to get right We need to get angry. We need to be sad. We need to be able to grieve. We need to be able to deconstruct. And we have to create space for something else to grow. Mm -hmm. And unless, you know, like even in our world, unless we just, you know, nuclear bomb something beyond repair, things grow back. Things show up in new ways and in new places and it's always interesting to see what does come in right like if you watch a fire like forest fires are kind of big out in the west um and have been for you know most of the time that i've lived here and so like going back and like seeing how things grow and how things develop and what new stuff comes in just on the wind or with birds or whatever that it completely changes the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And that's super cool, right? Like our world repairs itself. And I think that reconstruction is part of that too, right? right? Reconstruction is asking the questions of, you know, what, what do I want this to be? What do I want my children to inherit? What do I want my grandkids to inherit? What do I want to be remembered as? Can I take responsibility for the parts in which I was a hurt person Mm-hmm. And I might have been hurting people. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I think just going at looking at like our area of specialty, right? What we market as a clinic is problematic sexual behavior, sex addiction, pornography addiction. and None of that is who you are at a core level. Right. Right. So you and I used to have conversations about like, why are we pulling in people who are deconstructing? Mm-hmm. Like, what about our marketing? Get right, don't market, like we do not market that, right? But we get those people. And I mean, I, th- I think, number one, we are talking about betrayal trauma on our website. So I think a lot of people resonate with that term, betrayal trauma, because I don't know that we have the greatest terminology for some of this. Like, I mean, I think betrayal trauma fits, whether you are deconstructing or you're the partner of somebody deconstructing. I think betrayal trauma fits and resonates for both of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not how we're using it. We're using it as partners of addicts, right? But I, I think even that invitation to those who are not living authentically to who they are mm-hmm. and have had to live in a maladaptive way, something about our website resonates with them and gets them in, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think we'll still be in five years, having conversations about how we now understand why what we're putting out there in our marketing and on our website is pulling in people who are deconstructing. Like, in so many ways, I'm like, oh, I, I get it. I used to be like, I don't get it. Now I'm like, oh, I, I get it. Yeah. But I'm sure there's more I will get as we just continue on, right? But we are working with people who, on some level, are not operating as their best self. and Right. And that was a survival skill, right? That, and sometimes I am still like, isn't our brain and nervous system brilliant at just getting us through and surviving? Yeah. And we can never judge that or discount that or shame that, right? Like that is brilliant. That's brilliant. And this is not who you are meant to be. And so what do we have to do there, right? What has to be explored? and what has to be discovered right and that is a deconstruction reconstruction process i mean to me this is i think why i love working in the addiction space because it's not boring doesn't get old it's not same old same old ever right and i find a lot of like i'll have sometimes other therapists who are like isn't that just taxing for you and i'm like i mean not really Great. And I do think, right, as a therapist, and maybe this is, you know, like a way for us to again define what Mm -hmm. I think a good therapist, how they're showing up in that space and the role I I take, right? I think part of therapy is that we are helping our clients figure out who they are. Yeah. We can't tell them who they are. That's not our job, right? I don't even feel like I should tell my kids who they are right right because i don't know right like it just varies and in many ways i'm like i'm along for this ride and i don't know who you're gonna be i mean mine are much older than yours so i'm seeing more of that self start to take space and and manifest itself right which is exciting right but i think also knowing as a parent like i don't i don't know and it I mean, I I struggled giving their their them a name because I'm like, so just me and my husband get to say this is the name, right? And there, everybody's look. We said this is the name, and everybody's going along with this. Everybody is now calling them this, and like, what the, what did the two of us know? Nothing, right? We just picked this name. So, yeah, to me, I'm like, you know, at one age, I think it was in the second grade, my one daughter was like, I want to be called this. And I was like, okay. And her teacher, her school teacher was like, oh, no, you can't. Like, your mom and dad would feel so bad. Like, they picked this name just for you as a baby. And, and you know, she had me in to talk about it. And I'm like, huh, I don't care. How do you- <laughs> <laughs> if she doesn't like the name we gave her. I don't care. I mean, she's also in the second grade. And it was, I can't remember exactly what name she picked, but it was kind of more similar to very popular names of a lot of the kids in her class. And I'm like, I, I mean, as long as she puts her name on the paper, do you care? Like, I don't care. And I think the teacher was a little disappointed that I wasn't like, yeah, like, I'm sad, right? Like, I'm just like, I don't, I don't care. And I think it lasted a month or two. Right. And then she's like back to her name and I'm like, okay, what, whatever. Right. Like, yeah, this is a time for you to explore. And like, if you're exploring and you find something different than what we thought when you were born, okay, we'll sign off on that. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that's a space where self-definition is really, really important in our story as therapists. I think our job is to help people find that, right? And I've had clients who get real frustrated when I'm like, I, I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't have the answer for you, right? Like, it's not my job to have the answer for you. It's my job to guide you to the answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to ask you the questions and to right. give you space to not know. Right. And that's okay. And I'm gonna keep asking the question and we get to explore that and you figure out the answers i don't have those answers right because every person's experience is different every person's need is different Mm -hmm. and and it's always really cool again going back to the work that we do we do focus on like what gets us in the door is the problems right that's what what clients come in for Mm -hmm. But that's not good work, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's that's just crisis care. That's just triage. And I think that some deconstruction is that way too, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I feel like my therapist had to do a lot of triage in my deconstruction process. I feel like there was a lot of just like, okay, let's make sure you're safe while you're falling apart. Mm -hmm. But the, like, cool work, the work that I, like, personally have seen changes in in my life. The work that I see in my clients is this, like, let's get to sexual health. Let's get to spiritual health. Let's find something new and creative and different, right? Not just the leftovers. Not just, like, well, we we don't do this anymore, mm-hmm. and so it must be this. Like, really, like, okay, you have a world open to you with, you know, a thousand different options. Right. And maybe we start going back through them one by one. Which one do you like? Which one do you not? Which one works, not even likes, right? Like, Right. Which one fills your soul? Yes. And I mean, we were talking, I was talking about addiction, but I think it would be similar for anxiety. Yeah. I mean, anxiety is getting in the way of you being you. Right. And figuring out who you are because I've got to do this or the, my anxiety says not this and right. Or depression. Right. Or a lot of mental health illness that is out there right. and diagnosable, right, is actually I think maladaptive coping, right? And it's not who you are. And so a lot of therapy is inviting you to like, ask yourself the question, like, who would I be if this wasn't there? And why is this there? Right? Because it probably makes sense why it's there. But who might you be if it's not there? If you don't have to manage it, or you don't have to work with it and live with it, right? Then what would what would manifest what would come out right i mean i've been spending a lot of time like really digging into like neurodivergence and like adhd and things like that recently and one of the things that like i am continuously asking is like okay the world was not set up for neurodivergent people right like it just wasn't it is set up for neurotypical people i also have this belief that like we set up society and then try to make people fit that versus like asking people what would work for them and then adapting society to the majority i mean when you say it's not set up for neurodivergent people to me i'm like it wasn't even set up for like women Right. right. Like, it wasn't even set up for people with different skin colors. Right. Like, it, it wasn't really set up for anything but white male landowners, at least in America. Right. Like, right. So to me, I'm like, right, of course it wasn't. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so there's this level of like, okay, so like, how do you adapt that for yourself? Right. And it's amazing how when you, like, it's just that thought. And this was part of, the, like, the body positivity trend in the early, like, late two thousand, mid to late 2000s, where, like, we were getting through the, like, oh, we realized that Victoria's Secret models are actually really bad for women's health mm-hmm. and, and their own health and their own health, right? And the eating disorders that were coming from that and the amount of, like, self-sexualization, like, all of that, right? And I remember there was a thing that said, that came out at the time that was, like, look, like... If the clothes don't fit the body, the body is not the problem. Someone had to make the clothes. And that was such a like, wait, what? Right? Like, because if you needed to lose weight to fit into the clothes, that was a body issue. Well, it was a you issue. It was a you issue. We are so set up to just accept the blame and shame. Right. That we don't question the system. We don't question, like, why are adult women clothing? And if you if you are this size, I don't have a problem with that. But there's a lot of women who find value in being an extra small. And they're not supposed to be extra small. And it's coming at this huge cost out of healthy eating, right? right? And then some women, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? Like, you're not going to be an extra small because literally your bones can't fit into that. Right. And why? Right? Like, who decided that? How did that become a thing? And I think the thing that shifted for me in just reading that quote, right, was the, like, questioning the system is the deconstruction. Mm -hmm. Adapting myself to be resilient in the system, that's the reconstruction. And that's a continuous process. Mm -hmm. Right? We get to continuously be like, no, I can adapt. Because I'm an organic being and I'm an of the system. Right. Without it, right? Like it's that flex and flow, uh-huh. right? Like I can say like, yeah, I get that that's how the system is, but we don't do that. And within me or within my family or within my group of friends, I start talking about a different system. Yes. And maybe it doesn't really exist, but I still start talking about the system that I need to function in. Right. We, we start changing the role. Within ourselves first, mm-hmm. right? There was a thought process, right, around slavery. And slavery is one of those things that it, it's when slavery fell in America, it was kind of the end of how we saw slavery historically. And yes, there's like modern slavery and things like that, but like, in it's really when the world moved forward out of this idea of like, yeah, you just own people. And, and some people are meant to rule over others. Yes. And so like we kind of saw that trajectory and, and it has taken a long time, but in America, right, like that's when we started seeing like women asking for rights and being able to own land. And so there was a lot of things that transitioned out of that. And, but one of the things that I thought that was fascinating, and I want to say that it was a British ambassador that said it was that because Britain had gotten rid of slavery before we had, and that's why they allied with the United States over the Confederate States, because actually they would have benefited from allying with the Confederate States more, but they chose to ally based on a moral issue, which, again, I think is fascinating. But this ambassador said, when Britain chose to annihilate slavery, it did not choose it because it was financially feasible. Mm-hmm. It chose it because enough people started to believe that a world could be different. And that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. That if you start changing the narrative around what has been to what could be, and enough people do that, you change the world, right? And that is why I'm doing this. Right, right. That is just exciting mm-hmm. to me. Well, and I have said to clients before when they're, I, well, I've said this to friends and family members, right? Like when they start like a spiritual or religious deconstruction, I'm like, look, I think you can deconstruct and it takes you completely out of any organized religion. Mm-hmm. And I think there's honor in being outside of any organized religion. It, you can deconstruct and it takes you into a different organized religion. Right. And there is honor in being there. Right. You can deconstruct and stay in the religion of your childhood. And I think there is honor in doing that. Like I, I do think if you deconstruct and are out of religion or still in religion, there is benefit to be had and there are gains to make, right? Because I just think... People who have deconstructed and then are more intentional in their reconstruction serve better in the spaces that they show up in, right? Right. And so, like, I don't know where you're actually going to reconstruct into. And it's not, I mean, it, it'll be my business because I'm your mental health therapist, right? But I don't really have a dog in that fight. Right. You know, and sometimes we have conversations about where I had to reconstruct into and I'm fine telling them at that point, right? Like, this is where I am. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that I expect you to follow the same, same route or that there's only honor in being the same. Right. Because I think that's one of the things that I had to deconstruct was this value that we have in sameness. Mm-hmm. That to me, I had to be like, is that actually valuable? Or does it feel like an illusion of safety? Right. That. Everybody thinks the way I do or, and, and I just was like, actually, maybe, maybe I don't actually value sameness, this. Right. And as I started showing up with people who were not the same as me, whether that's a different skin color, a different sexual orientation, a different gender and being able to show up and be like, okay, I don't know who you are mm-hmm. and you don't know who I am, but let's figure that out. Yeah. I just had such beautiful moments with people, right? That I was like, yeah, I don't think there's as much beauty in sameness as I was led to believe. And I think the beauty comes in, I I think actual connection comes when we are different. Yeah. And, you know, and by me, we're both female and white and heterosexual, but that doesn't still equal sameness. Right. Right. And, when I have to show up and be vulnerable and say some things and then you get to do the same thing and I hold just as much space and honor for that then now we have connection right because there's freedom there too right and I think currently in the United States there's a lot of rhetoric around freedom and I still think we're missing the point Mm -hmm. I mean also there's there's a level in which like the term freedom is getting used and I'm not sure that everyone who's using it knows what it means right i I had this conversation about book banning yesterday and i was just like no like I'm, i'm sorry like i draw a hard line at censoring the written word like that that's a hard line for rachel but i do think that there's a level of this right like when we when you're talking about sameness when you're talking one of the things that was fascinating to me and it was a unknown side effect i think of my deconstruction process was how many people I thought were the same as me. Mm-hmm. And when I started being really vulnerable about the ways that I was struggling and the ways that I was different, or even like in the reconstruction process, like owning that space of like, yeah, I'm not there anymore. This is where I'm at now. I found that even within the people that I thought were the same, there was a lot of things that they were just scared to put on the table. mm mm-hmm. Right? Like they just didn't know that they could put it mm-hmm. on the table. mm mm-hmm. And that has been beautiful to me to see how my story of being able to be more vulnerable and be more open and speak from a place of like, I know who I am now. And I'm not constantly like hustling to try to get approval from people that don't know me Mm -hmm. gives me a lot more space to be safe for other people to be like, Hey, I see this. Hey, I know this hey, there's this thing that happens with me and I have a question for you. right? Really. And that's just like, that is just great. Mm-hmm. Deep well, community. It requires us to just show up different. Yeah. When we're operating on, I'm assuming this person's different than mine. Right. And still valuable. Maybe we are equal in value, but probably different. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to approach you different. I mean, whether you're somebody checking out my groceries or not, like, I'm still that interaction is going to be different than if I assume you're the same as me. Right. Or, or like, cause I think sometimes, at least in the religion I deconstructed from, I do think, and again, I think there's people who reconstruct and stay in this religion, and that is not their attitude. Right. And this is where I think they benefit the whole community right. by staying, which is there's a one-upness. Yeah. And, for them being in those communities when they have deconstructed that and are like, no, 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 this does not make us one up on everybody else who is not this, right? No, that's not what this is about. It changes it how Dasha was in other places. It does. It does. And, you know, if when you were saying, like, you can reconstruct in these different ways, right? You can reconstruct outside of the religion into another religion in the same religion. Mm-hmm. I have people in my life that have done all three. And... The reality is and really the the book falling upward that we pull a lot of the deconstruction reconstruction process from right. Richard Rohr reconstructed back into Catholicism. Catholicism yeah. And which I think is beautiful. Like the right. way that that, like hence, Catholicism is served because he did that. Right. Like I to me, I just mean you know, I'm not from a Catholic background, but I believe that all of Catholicism is is benefited. From him reconstructing into Catholicism. Right. I mean. I know a couple of people personally. That like. I went through their deconstruction with them. And they reconstruct. And like we went through deconstruction together on different levels. Right. And they would. Re- they reconstructed back. Into the faith that we came from. And I did not. And. We have so much more respect for each other. And our spaces. Because we understand what it took to get to where we are now. Yeah, right? And like. And I, I, respect, I think, is the correct word for that. Like, I have a lot of respect for what that is and what it looks like. And, you know, I think we do get the right to own the narrative and how we how we live our faith, how we live our mental health, how we live our recovery in so many places. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I like authors like Brene Brown, who talks about braving the wilderness and living in kind of a messy middle Where like the world asks you to define yourself in extremes and you get to reconstruct into like, well, no, actually it's more nuanced than that, right? Like it is. I I tend to be someone who believes in gun control and I was raised on a farm and had guns and my family hunts, right? And so like I understand that there are lines there and that those lines have to be carefully treaded. And I can hold both values because I know who I am as a person. Well, and I think it goes back to what you were saying kind of towards the beginning, that I think it's easier to operate in black and white thinking. Yeah. Not healthier. And I I think that's not where human beings are at our best when we're just out in the extremes of all or nothing, black and white thinking, right? I, I don't think that's where human beings are actually thriving but i think it's easier and it might make us feel safe on some level i don't think it i think we should question how safe that actually feels Mm -hmm. but i i think we actually do much better in the messy middle Mm -hmm. and we allow other people to do better or we expect better from others in the messy middle yeah because it is overriding maybe our our need to just solve confirmation bias by choosing all or nothing right and instead we we stay in this space and and sometimes i'll say like look sometimes our brain and nervous system operate on it like when i get in the car to go home from work i don't have to think i'm not concentrating on the exit to take i'm not like okay remember this is where you turn left or this is where you turn right." right like that's not a really conscious effort for me to then show up in my garage, right? And I mean, sometimes so that, like, if I'm like, I intend to stop and pick this up at the grocery store, and the next thing you know, I'm getting out of my car and I'm like, oh man, I totally forgot because I altered my route and my brain hadn't accounted for that or it forgot, right? Because I can think of a lot of things and feel a lot of different things in my commute. And I'm, I think I'm a safe driver, right? But like, I don't really have to be consciously involved in getting home every day. Mm-hmm. And that's great. But I do think when it comes to human beings, our brain and our nervous system should not overly simplify it and be like, I got it. You don't have to really think, you don't really have to concentrate. You don't really have to be intentional. That should not happen when I'm showing up with this client. It shouldn't happen when I'm showing up with this person. It shouldn't have to, it shouldn't happen when I'm showing up with this child of mine, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's saving me energy so I don't have to think about my commute so that I can show up here and be like, I don't know. That sounds really hard. Let me think about it. Or thank you for sharing. Like, you know, like, because there I do have to hold more space and it requires more energy of me. And it should. Right. Well, and even, even in that analogy, right? Like, when you were learning how to drive a car, it took longer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you had to be more intentional and you had to, right. And, and I think that that's the space of like, we can get into a rhythm and kind of understand it. And it's still, if I'm on a road I don't know, I'm paying a lot more attention. Right. If the weather's bad, I'm paying a lot more yeah. attention. Or a couple weekends ago, my husband and I were going to Costco. Right. And we're getting on some roads to get on uh, the interstate to get to Costco. Actually, we don't take the interstate to get to Costco now that I think about it. But outside, like once we get outside of kind of the roads, the main roads outside of our neighborhood, none of the stoplights were working, right? And so, but my husband was driving and he's like, oh my gosh, look at how many people are not even aware that that there's no light. Like it's just no color and they're going through. I mean, it should be treated as a four-way stop, right? And I said, the other thing is, it's like, I would expect this. Like, if it was my kid or, like, my 20-year-old, she'd probably call me and be like, Mom, remind me what to do, right? And I'd be like, yeah, treat it like a four-way stop. Okay. But these are people our age. Like, they've been driving a long time, and they're just, like, going straight through. And, like, they don't know if they have a red light or a green light or if it's yellow. They're just going right on through, and we're all having to be very cautious, right? But these are not... The bulk of these drivers are not new drivers or young drivers. These are decades-old drivers, right? And they're not even aware. Yeah, I'm like, they're not even aware that, like, hey, drive differently right now in this moment, right? And I'm like, I don't know exactly what that means or what that says, but it's a little scary to me right now. (laughs) Right. Well, and I do. right. Like, I do think that there are things where we get into a routine with our families right like this is how we do morning Mm -hmm. because we have to get out the house and do get you to school and i have to get to work and you know whatever but we are also in the stage of like our child is melting down she doesn't like right she's just past the point of like she doesn't need our help as much but she still wants our help and Mm -hmm. you know like right and so i have to slow that down and i have to explain to her like This is why you you are putting on your shoes. Mm -hmm. Because you have to do it. Like, you have to get effective and efficient at putting on your shoes. I mean, you're also having to... I I mean, she's six. six? Yeah, she just turned six. Just turned six. It's also this, like, while she's capable of putting on shoes now, you start to parent this, like, yeah, sometimes we don't feel like it. Yeah. And I can be patient with you, and I can help you, and I can... Be regulated myself and not lose it on you, but like there's this other part of parenting that is like now you have the skill set, but emotionally sometimes we don't feel like doing it. Yes, and that is just as valid. Yes, as having no skill set, right? And so how do we show up here and how do we teach and how do we make space for? Yeah, right. I mean, like, and that was our whole day yesterday was around, you know, cleaning her room. Right. We had a ton of stuff planned because it was her birthday weekend. And so we were like, you get to do all these things, but room has to be clean. Right. It took her four hours to do a 20 minute task Uh because she just didn't want to do it. And then we had to nix some things. Right. And and that. Right. This is the learning curve. And I think that 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 like. I'm very, my child is constructing into adulthood. So mm-hmm. different than reconstructing, but like. Which is a very long process. It exists, right? right? Right. And sometimes as adults, we have to question that. Mm-hmm. We have to question like, is this worth it? Is this what I want it to be? Is this, you know, does this work for my family? Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes as a parent, you're like, okay, actually, you know, we're we're taking a day off. Like. Right, like because that happens too, and we get to do that as adults, and right. our kids should get to do that. And so some days it's like, okay, that the learning curve. Right, it's still okay if we just say, okay, and again, right, like day, yeah, we're having to find that balance. And like, we bag that today, we bag it too many days. We now created a habit of bagging. Yeah, right, and and, I, and and more work to do. Right, and so like, we're kind of. The point of all of that is like when we start reconstructing, we are very intentional. Uh-huh. And some days we're overwhelmed. Uh-huh. And right, like I have days where I can feel myself moving into my old default settings. I can feel myself moving into like my old way of thinking or my like whatever that is. And I have to like consciously be like, right, but I don't actually believe that anymore. Uh-huh. And sometimes I have to do like a mini grief, prop, grief process of like, I did believe this, and this is what it did in my life, and this right like, and I have to kind of get to the the mini grief of acceptance of like, and this is where I'm at now, uh-huh. and this is what I'm doing now, and I love that, uh-huh. and I'm okay with that, and right there's a balance there, right? Because we can easily go back into deconstructing something that we've already deconstructed Uh when really sometimes it's just the grief of like, you know, that's gone Uh and we are building something new, Uh but that is gone. Uh Or connecting with there's a reason it's gone. Yeah. There's a reason I don't believe that anymore. Right. And so in this moment with what I know today, what, how do I show up in this situation? Right. There's a lot of grace. Mm -hmm. I think that comes in the reconstructing process Mm -hmm. and learning how to have that for ourselves and have that for others. Yes. Yeah. Which is the messy middle. Yeah. I don't know that we ever graduate from the messy middle, but I think we start to see how much beauty there is in the messy middle. Mm -hmm. I also think this was something that you and I talked about earlier, and I think it's really important to understand what this is in deconstruction we don't have a lot of capacity for other people's thoughts and feelings mm-hmm. and nuances, right? Like you kind of shared your story in the beginning of like, you can see where that you had crossed that line and that you had hurt some people unintentionally. When we are deconstructing, when we are in that place, it is a place of grief. It is a place of crisis. We don't have a lot of capacity for other people's emotions or other people's faces. And I think some people do that more than others, right? Like the reconstruction is a place where we get to grow that capacity and and recognize like this is what I am accountable for this is this was my impact mm-hmm. this is my impact and can I repair that
1: mm-hmm.
0: because when we're deconstructing there's a lot of crisis that happened mm-hmm. and I think in reconstruction there is a lot of repair mm-hmm. right we're talking about a lot of repair. Mm-hmm. And we get to choose whether or not we want to repair relationships or not. Right. I mean, I, I'm not calling any of them up and having that conversation. Right. 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 And we did, I mean, when we moved, we moved like 40 minutes south of where we lived, right? right. And so the feeling of like going to Target or going to Costco and being like, I'm not going to know one person in this store. Mm-hmm. And the chances of me running into somebody is very small. And it felt amazing, mm-hmm. right? I didn't, I don't think I fully recognized how much i was living with that before Mm -hmm. until we moved and i was like nobody's gonna know me like i i can go to the store and just walk down a different aisle and not have to kind of peek down the aisle and see who's there and if i'm gonna run into somebody now i will say i mean if i did run into them i think i would be different than i was back then right And I wouldn't be peeking down an aisle and I I, like I I wouldn't feel a need to shrink or to make myself small because they're probably judging me or have heard things about me or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't show up with that energy anymore. Right. Which is progress to me. Like if I did happen to see them someplace. Right. I would be fine. I'd be okay. And we may not even need to talk about it, right? But I could acknowledge them. If they want to acknowledge me, that's fine. Right. And I think that that, right, like that idea of getting to choose Mm -hmm. is a huge part of reconstruction. Yeah. Like it's just like you get to choose. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about because like sometimes with the people we work with, you know, I was talking with a couple just last week in their session and we were talking about how like his deconstruction was much more intentional and he chose you know and the analogy they used is he chose to jump off the cliff and because she was his partner and she was tied to him she went over the cliff and she didn't choose it and she didn't really see it coming and she just all of a sudden was over the cliff right and she's having to deconstruct stuff because he is and you know like that's a different I mean his deconstruction was still traumatizing to him. Hers was traumatizing in a whole different way. Right. And they're now at a place where they can start to have those conversations and they can both see how, and he's able to see how, yeah, that impacted you. And I, I mean, it is what it is. Right. But he can hold space for how that felt to her mm-hmm. and the pain that they that caused her and not go into shame or blame right and just have the conversation right which is huge right like that's when you realize like how deconstruction can affect your partner and does affect your partner not can does it does affect your partner and Mm -hmm. being able to have those new like those very healing conversations Mm -hmm. right like we do this a lot with like the Gottman work of like if there's been a big um, betrayal would do a lot, like repair. When we mm-hmm. we're on building trust and building repair, and that is part of the, uh, it. And most of that is hearing, yes, and listening, and reflecting, and making space for, and allowing them to own their own story. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that that's one of the things. Like our experiences can be very different of the same event. Yes. Even in a partnership, and allowing them to own their experiences and and talk about that and not getting defensive and not like feeling like it invalidates your story i think is part of that reconstruction process that is so beautiful Mm -hmm. yeah so let's maybe shift into and talk about some things that we need to deconstruct and we're going to need to reconstruct like just some generic like whether it's under spiritual deconstruction or not right like What are areas where you see clients needing to deconstruct and reconstruct? I usually start with, like, what are the rules? Right? Like, what are the rules in which we are living life? Mm. Because we're all living life on a set of rules. Uh And even if it's more rebellious. Yeah. Even, right? Like, even if the rule is, you know, I just hate authority. And so I balk at any authority that comes at me. Um, well, that's a that's a rule. I don't know, if it's a very functional rule, but it's a rule. Right. And so like I that's usually where I start is the rules and the roles that we play. Right. Like who are we to other people and how much of that is required of us and how much of that is volunteer. And which feels pretty basic, right? Like you can do that and not go super deep. It's not my experience, but you, you can. Mm-hmm. And I may break that up and do, like, what are the rules around sex? What are the rules around faith? What are the rules around work? And what are the rules around, you know, your role in your family or whatever that is? And kind of, like, slice it thinner as we go. But then the next step is asking, do these rules actually work for you? Mm -hmm. Right, like, is that is this effective? Is this worth your time and and your emotional commitment? Mm -hmm. And, like, if not, Mm -hmm. then, like... Okay, what do the rules yeah. need to be? Or is it as effective as it needs to be? Yeah, right. Right, because, like, I mean, people maybe could say, yeah, it's working fine. Right. But I'm like, yeah, that's not really I yes, this is effective for us. I often use the analogy of, like, speed limits are great, right? They keep us kind of on track. They make sure that we're not driving too fast on unsafe roads, blah, blah, blah. Um, we don't really actually get to pick mm-hmm. the speed limit. Like that's a that's a socially designated rule, mm-hmm. and in the West speeds tend to be higher than in the East. Right, right. Even on similar types of roads, we have higher speed limits. Right, and really, some of it is just arbitrary, mm-hmm. right? like right. legitimately just arbitrary. And also, my driver's ed teacher said, and like maybe he, in no way intended to shape a driving habit for life for me, but I do recall him saying, I mean, if you're driving five or six miles over the speed limit, the posted speed limit. You're probably not ever going to get a ticket for that. And that has become a rule of thumb. For me. I drive five to six miles over the speed limit. And like, I was thinking, like I was saying this the other day, right? Cause we were having a conversation in the car and I said, well, if you're driving, you know, five or six miles over, you're probably not going to get a speed ticket. And my one daughter was like, who told you that? And I was like oh, my driver said teach when I was 16. And she was kind of like, did he have the authority to tell you that? And I was like, I have no idea. He was actually a football coach. So maybe Probably. not, right? Probably not. But I have lived by that. And mm-hmm. maybe I should question if I should be living by that casual mention. Right. The rules in my family, our speed limits don't matter. <laughs> right. Like my family of origin, they do not care about the posted speed because it's about how safe you're driving mm-hmm. and you can drive safe and fast but you can drive unsafe at the speed limit and that is their like rule now my mom is also a nurse who worked in the er for sure, yeah. years so all the police know her she's never gotten into it it's a whole thing but that is some of that right like here's the posted rule And I've only ever gotten one speeding ticket, and I was definitely over six miles. (laughs) So just, I'll just throw that out there. Okay. No reason at all, but yes. Okay. Right. (laughs) And so, like, we have rules that are given to us, and some of them are laws, like speed limits, right? Like, they may not work for us, but if you break them, you can absolutely get fined for Uh them, right? Like, there are big consequences Uh to if they are in law, in society, and you break them, then there are major consequences. Uh And then there are rules that are more like guidelines. Like someone gave them or traditions, right? Like someone gave them to you. You don't really understand why we do this or how. Like, I don't know why we have oyster forks. They're not any more useful than regular forks in getting oysters out. But like, we have them. There's a rule that you're supposed to use them if there are oysters. I don't understand this, right? That's a guideline. That's a tradition doesn't actually matter you don't actually have to own oyster forks if, i like i couldn't even tell you what an oyster fork looks like <laughs> you know, my rule of thumb is i don't eat don't things that come from water yeah. <laughs> fresh or sea like i just don't right. eat yes. things yeah. that come from water and so there is a level of this right like where then we have to like because a lot of time before we start deconstructing or if we're at that heart of deconstructing where we're starting to do this We've never questioned which rules are laws and which rules are guidelines. Mm-hmm. They've all been well and and there's also rules that should be broken. Yes. Because if we keep this rule, it's actually unhealthy or it's actually shaping our society in unhealthy ways. Right. And by starting to question it, we can start to advocate for different change that is would be considered progress or growth. Right. And so Right, though that's kind of honestly, that is where I start. Mm-hmm. What are the rules? What are the roles? Why? Mm-hmm. And honestly, you can take that mm-hmm. and i keep going mm-hmm. for years. Well, and then from that we start to arrive at values, yes, and principles, right, that actually we're owning for ourselves. They're not given to us with a set of hierarchy here's the values, here's their order of importance, or here's principles. And here's what's important. We start to define that, or it comes from that thought process of what are the rules? Why are they the rules? Do I think they're working for me? What would it be like if I had different rules, right? All of that starts to, I think, reveal what at a core level are actually our values what are our principles, Mm -hmm. then that starts to shape us in like what's actually required. What do I require of me, right? Which sometimes with some of my clients, I would say to them, one of the things I noticed pretty quickly is when Utah started having an HLV lane Mm -hmm. or a carpool lane, um, most of my male clients broke it often frequent. And consistently, yeah, right. And I was kind of like, "Well, wait a minute, this is a pattern here. I am seeing amongst my male clients, and w- what is this, right? Because the fines are really hefty for violating that, yeah. And so having those conversations, and and it started us into a lot of conversations about authority, right? To which then I'm asking them, like, okay, so I understanding your story as my client, I understand how. Authority over you as a child was misused, and let let's have that conversation because just living with no authority or you don't answer to anybody—that's actually not a very healthy approach to life. Right? Probably not going to work in your relationship. Probably not going to work in a lot of areas if you continue to show up that way. There's going to be some fallout that I don't think you're intending. But there will be, right? And then do your kids get those same rules that there's no authority that they have to answer to? Or is that just a rule for you, right? But what ended up happening is we were having conversations around what does personal empowerment look Mm -hmm. like? And when you connect to yourself as your authority and you're actually holding yourself to some of those, like, okay, if I am my own authority, then what? Right. And I am accountable to to myself, at least. Right. Then maybe to my spouse and maybe to my kids and like now, like that's different than just flipping off authority. Right. And living life in this way of like, you know, and we're doing some trauma work. Yeah. And some reconstruction that says, okay, just because you had bad authority figures or untrusted authority figures doesn't mean you get to flip the bird to all of the authority figures and it actually requires a lot more of you as an adult right who has some positions of authority whether that's as a parent or a partner or whatever right and so now we have to reconstruct right yeah and i you know there's so many layers to that when we start to talk about like our values and how what what rules and guidelines help us live within those values and how do we like expand that and how do we like create space it becomes a lot more about in in my experience right like it becomes a lot more about what we are open to versus like what rules we're violating Mm -hmm. right like and you know using the because road rage is a whole thing in our field like it it is a side effect that we see a lot but when we start working at least with my clients like when i start working on this stuff with them the road rage dissipates oh yeah right it massively dissipates because like i'm not trying to prove something to people that don't know me because i've already proved it to myself Uh well and they start to it becomes a. Like wow, I'm really annoyed at other drivers, which means I've got something to address in my own life. I'm noticing that, and it's not showing up as road rage the way it used to. Yeah. But like, I'm noticing how annoyed I get in my car, and it's just connecting me with like, what am I not addressing in my life, right? That I'm that it's showing up as like this lack of tolerance for other drivers, right? Yeah. Which, again, like this this process of reconstructing is about like the questioning my values and living that integrated right and that's messy Mm -hmm. right there's so many times that i come back and i'm like i was not my best self there right i can see that i can own that i can be accountable to that but like i wasn't and show up fully integrated there Mm -hmm. and i can tell Mm -hmm. um and but that's also some reconstruction that says, I get to be imperfect. yes, I get to be less than who I am capable of, right and still have value and still be treated with respect and all of that type of stuff. And so then I can own it, and owning that doesn't compromise me, right, right? It actually brings me back into repair and and reconstructing right Right. back into yeah this is actually who i am and i don't have to ignore that i did this or pretend i didn't right because i i can repair that Mm -hmm. and why wouldn't i want to right and like it it starts to again like i think that we're always once we start deconstructing i think that we're always deconstructing and reconstructing it is a little bit like a lego project yeah like yeah we're always like taking things apart rebuilding making it better Mm -hmm. and making it different i don't know if better is the right word but making it different Mm -hmm. adjusting to what works for us and in my experience the longer that i i do this the longer that i do this work as a therapist that does get easier right like Mm -hmm. it's not as hard because it's not the big jumping off the cliff right it's the little daily like Hmm, what is this? Mm-hmm. And it's not the first time, right? So we have some uh, history that we can pull from that maybe gives us more hope, right? Or allows us to be more graceful with, or gracious with ourselves and with others because we've done these other things in a bigger ways, harder ways, scarier ways, right? And it's not as scary now, and we know that there's yeah actually if if I Deconstruct this, reconstruct this, uh, find more meaning. It'll reconnect me to more of my authentic self. It'll feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've been thinking during this episode. One of my first, my internship, I did my internship at Family Services of Greater Baton Rouge. I don't even know if it still exists. So I had a pretty broad array, like little kids to adults, that I was seeing. And it kind of spanned the spectrum of like what issue might come in. Right. And I remember one of my clients, and she was maybe one of my first clients when I started my internship. So you're with, you know, you're doing your internship for roughly like nine, 10 months. Right. And so I worked with her for like nine, 10 months. She was a six year old little girl and her family brought her in. I mean, I was a little out of my scope of what I knew how to handle, but you're also with supervisors who have eyes on this and are walking you through week to week. So I felt like, and I had a good supervisor. Not everybody has that experience. So I felt like, okay, this is not something I'm familiar with. Her parents had found out that she had been being sexually abused by an older neighbor boy for three years and her parents were great also. They knew, like, we don't really know what to do, so we're getting her into help, and we're getting help ourselves and want to be told how to best handle this, right? So kind of an ideal setting in less than ideal circumstances. Right. And again, she's six, right? And, and my supervisor, who was wiser than me, was like, you're also telling them, like, her work at six will come to a close on this, and I don't know when it, she's going to need more work, maybe at ten maybe at 12, maybe at 14. This will be an issue she works on over time, multiple times in her life, right? So just know we're into the long haul process and I'm going to be here right now. And I may not ever be around for the other time she does this work and that's okay. And so when I was getting ready to graduate and finish up my internship, we were doing some termination work with her. She was about ready, right? I mean, I thought she'd kind of done what she needed to at six. And she came in one day and she was like, Miss Jackie, did you see the flowers outside blooming? And I was like, I did. And she was like, did you know? She's like, I did too. Don't they look pretty or don't they smell great or something like that? And I was like, yeah, amazing. And she was like, did you know they haven't bloomed? since this bad thing started happening to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they have, right? And I said, I didn't know that. And she's like, yeah, but they're it again. And to me, I'm like, oh yeah, you're done. Mm-hmm. We've done what we need to at six. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I think of reconstruction, I think of her, mm-hmm. right? And just that simple story of like, oh yeah, the world is beautiful. Look at this beauty in the world i couldn't see it right i couldn't see it for three years right in her mind she didn't think it was happening right in reality it just couldn't happen for her like she was in a dark place a hard place and all of a sudden she's like oh look at these beautiful flowers that used to happen before Mm -hmm. right and sometimes i will say that to clients like what you know, I mean, with not all of them, did they have enough of a self before something right. to deconstruct, right? But like those conversations about like, what would your pre-self be happy to know that this self is now learning and reconstructing and building mm-hmm. it, it. Cause I think deconstruction, it is. It's a, it's not a real colorful, beautiful place to be. It's a necessary place to be. And I think it's an important place to be that reconstruction is when we loom. We can connect to beauty. We can connect to wonder and awe and all of those other things. Right. That you know, we deserve to live in. Right. Which again, our world does naturally. Like we are mm-hmm. meant to deconstruct and reconstruct. Right. Right. Like we have forest fires. We have tornadoes. Mm-hmm. Right. We have right like. The destruction is devastating. Yeah. And if you give it space, something will grow uh-huh. and it will be beautiful. Yeah. Sometimes you have to tend it and you have to clean up the devastation. Right. But, like, but is There, possible? A, there is beauty that comes. It. Mm-hmm. And that is, I love that story. And I think that that, that is reconstruction. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Right. Right.